Welcome in to another edition of the Vorse Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce this next guest from the West Coast, SDR turned AE, Sarah Brazier. Enjoy. So, Sarah, um, I'm excited to have you on the pod. It's living in a time right now where things change so quickly, and you have to be really adaptable. Um, talk about how you got into sales development and where that all, you know, came to be. I know you were, before you got into sales development, you were doing acting, uh, similar, uh, I was doing broadcasting and it, you know, even though sales development was my first job out, full-time job out of college, you know, I was kind of doing sports broadcasting as like my first career, essentially, uh, so talk about, you know, your time in acting, what you enjoyed about it, and then transitioning that into uh, sales development. Sure. Um, and it's great to be on the show. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Um, yeah, so I, my story, the time I was an actor. Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I had had a couple different jobs out of college. I sold jeans at a <laughs> retail store and uh, worked at a nonprofit, worked as a teacher, but the whole running course through all of that was that I was involved in theater, either professionally or not so professionally. Um, and at one point I decided I was going to make the leap into acting. So I spent a couple years in the San Francisco Bay area, uh, going around auditioning for shows, living in not great living conditions, <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting paid a hundred dollars a week for 80 hours of week of, of work that week, you know? Um, and there came a point where I was, you know, surrounded by black mold in a bathroom where if you stepped out of the shower the wrong way, your leg would fall through the ceiling. Oh man. <laughs> and I just thought, uh, you know, there's gotta be something else. And that was sort of the slow journey into finding a job, any job that would both marry my love of performance and connecting and, you know, being on stage is you're totally building relationships with your audience mm -hmm. and marry that love of oration, performance, et cetera, with um, a better paycheck and um, something that was a little more mentally stimulating than um, what could sometimes be if you weren't in the right, you know, role or playing the right character, had a good script, it could be a little bit boring, like the part <laughs> I played a unicorn. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, one thing led to another. I was working a bunch of odd jobs and uh, I met a guy named Jim Jones who introduced me to sales development. And I thought, yeah, I can do this. I can do this and it'll support my acting career. So I did, and it, uh, I wasn't very good at it. And uh, so I went to another company, and I met this guy named Tanner Robinson, and he's a fantastic um, leader and great sales coach and mentor to me. And he kind of equipped me with the things that I was missing the first time around in order to be successful. And then um, that's, sort of, that's sort of when I started really digging in and enjoying the wonderful world of sales development. Yeah, for sure. And, and and talk about obviously uh your path to gone uh because obviously 
wasn't your first time, first rodeo into sales development. Um, so talk about your path to Gong and what you were able to learn, you know, being an SDR there, because obviously a lot of students coming out of colleges, this, this might be their first role. Um, it's an everyday grind. And they, when they get to the role, uh, they might be promised, Hey, you might be an AE in six months, but they come to realize very quickly. It's, it's not like that. Yeah, for sure. So I came to sales development in my late twenties. <laughs> I graduated from college and I spent five years doing other work, six years, seven years. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Like seven years. So I think that the knowledge and skill set that I brought just having been in the workforce for a while made mm -hmm. being in sales development maybe a little bit easier. Once I had the formula in front of me, but I don't think that I don't think once you can crack the code, once you have someone explain, here's the formula to being good in sales development. Sure, it's a grind, but to saying it's a grind, I think, is makes it sound like it's miserable. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there are moments when it can be like grinding. But overall, I think it's actually a really fun job if you are making cold calls and getting wins, making connecting with someone live and trying to objection handle. That's a rush. That's really fun. Uh, exercising creativity around writing email campaigns and sequences that marry both uh, very good personal research as well as industry and company research with a solid value prop and being concise with your words. That's, that's really a fun exercise. So I think the advice that I would give to someone who just graduated from college and is entering a sales development role, I think the biggest mistake is that they enter the job and they don't actually learn how to do it. And that's why they don't get promoted in six months or a year or whenever. I think you really have to figure out how to feed yourself uh, or feed your AE, which will then allow you to feed yourself when you're an AE. And all of the data around sales development says that it takes at, at least 12 months of work in order to master that skill set that will then translate into a good making a good AE. So I, I if someone was promising me an AE role six months into being an SDR fresh out of college, I wouldn't trust it because they're <laughs> selling you a pipe dream and they probably don't know how the how the job works or the industry works enough. Like don't don't take that job. Find a place where <laughs> Um, they have a really good playbook built out or at least the willingness to build out a good playbook or someone who's a good coach. Um, and, and I would say dive into learning how to be a good SDR. Yeah, I love that. And you talk about that, knowing the playbook and, and being patient because obviously sales is a numbers game, but, but talk about the, the transferable skills that a good SDR must have in order to be an AE. Totally. So you need to know how to identify good accounts. And I see a lot of SDRs make this mistake. This is a mistake that I made for the first job that I had as a SDR. As I, as I didn't know how to identify what was a good account. So it's like, are they growing? Did they get funding? What does their 
quarterly earnings call say? What does their 10K say? What are their business objectives? All of that stuff is important to know, not just to know because you can prove that you research the company. It's important to know because if they have the right indicators in place, then it's much easier to make a sale. And if they don't have, if they don't have problems that your solution solves, then they're not worth going after or they don't have a budget because, you know, they're, get the, you know, their stock is tanking and <laughs> <laughs> like, so um, learning how to identify accounts is really important. And that varies depending on what you're selling. So you need to sit down and learn how to do that. And then the next thing is how do you identify who your ICP or ideal candidate or not ideal candidate, ideal customer profile, who, who are you trying to sell to who in that business? Um, both. And then from there, you know, what are the titles that you need to talk to? Who's going to be your influencer? Who's going to be your champion? Um, how, how can you identify those just by taking a peek at someone's LinkedIn and seeing what they write their passion about and how can you talk to them and speak to who they are as a person and also speak to the role that they have. And um, the better you get as an SDR, the more you're able to have conversations with a myriad of different people. And from there, you can start to book really great meetings. But all of that's going to bleed into your ability to have empathy, to run good discovery, to uh, close for next steps. So knowing basic research skills or more than basic research skills around being an SDR is a really important quality to have. And then um, being disciplined, I think, is another important quality. Um, in order to hit your quota or exceed your quota, you need to be able to break down the process of how to get from zero meetings booked to 20 meetings booked or 15 or whatever it is your quota is. So instead of just um, following the process that your manager tells you, uh, without really thinking about it, you need to be able to say, okay, so I made X amount of cold calls. Those uh, of the cold calls that I made, five of them were connects. Of the five that I made, one of them converted to a meeting. And then you need to iterate on that process. So um, if you're connecting with five people, but only one in five is converting, is there an opportunity for you to uh, improve your objection handling skills or ask better questions on the call in order to make two of the five convert? Or are you calling the wrong people and that's why they're not converting? So it's like break, having a process then being able to break down the process and iterate on it. That is one of the things I'm learning as an account executive is really, really important to do. Um, and it takes a really long time to learn how to do that as an SDR. It took, I was an SDR for like two years before I got promoted into an account executive role. But it's actually paid off really well because I'm already I'm already understanding processes or applying my SDR process to a greater sales process, um, and it's really helping me run better discovery calls, drive for next steps. Um, and I find if I don't commit to the process, then I end up having deals that fall through the cracks. And if I do commit to the process, the likelihood that that deal will close is much greater than if I don't. Um, so discipline, research, uh, understanding how to write, writing good copy always helps writing concisely, unlike what I'm doing, being really digital right now. Uh, <laughs> those are really good skills. And then, you know, not, uh, not being afraid to fail. Like the fear of failure is the thing that I think really gets you. If, you, if you're afraid of picking up the phone, if you're afraid of sending an email, I'm always like, eh, Something's better than nothing. I'm a 
Yeah, and and I love that. And and talk about being able to stay disciplined and try to not compete against others because obviously um, when you're on a team of SDRs, you might, you know, you have the friendly competitions, if you will, and you always see other people. And if they're doing well, you obviously want to compete and try to get to the top of the leaderboard. But how do you stay focused on trying to hit your numbers and not get bogged down by other people's or other SDRs results? I mean, I like to beat people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you definitely like to win, right? You'd... <laughs> so I don't, I don't get bogged down by it. I'm not like, oh, they're beating me. I'm like, they're beating me? <laughs> um, that's, that's how, I mean, that's how I, 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 unless I don't care, like I've swung between the two different motions of being like, I need to be the number one on the chart because that was my goal at the time. I wanted to be the top of the leaderboard. Then I finally was like, all right, I've proven that I can be the top of the leaderboard. Now what's my next goal? Then I stopped looking at the leaderboard and I started figuring out how much could I exceed quota by? And it, and it wasn't, my actual thing is I didn't want to, I, I didn't really care how much I exceeded quota. I wanted to hit a full quarter's worth of quota in two months so that I could, you know, take a vacation or enjoy Christmas or whatever. I had like a, a personal goal of like, I want to be able to go home and see my mom for Christmas and not feel stressed, not have that really tight pinching of tight muscles in the back of my neck and my shoulder blades. I hate that feeling. And if I haven't, you know, hit quota yet that month, that's going to be there. So I go, okay, well, if I want to take a proper break and drink mold wine with my mom at Christmas, <laughs> then I want to hit quota by the end of November. I want to hit quota before Thanksgiving. So what do I need to do to do that? And then I say everything in December is gravy. Um, so it's all just about goal setting, honestly. It's like, what do you want? What do you want to be? If you don't want to get bogged down by other people's performance, well, start getting uh, obsessed with your own. So write down what your goals are. Be disciplined about writing down your goals. There's a lot of studies that say if you write write down or verbally articulate and write down your objectives and goals, you are much more likely, much more likely to actually achieve them. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I love that. Um, I couldn't say it any better. And, and talk about some of the things you personally did at a SDR to be different and making sure you hit quota on a consistent basis, because obviously being in the role, as long as you were, there's a time for growth and a time to be consistent. So when was that turning point for you uh, when you knew that it was going to be a time where you were going to eventually get to that AE position by doing things differently? Yeah, I think that I wasn't doing things differently. I was doing my process the same <laughs> way every day and being consistent. And that's what allowed me to to exceed quota. Um, and then once I exceeded quota, my, I would take time off to then practice my AE skills. So the way that you get promoted at Gong is you don't like, as long as you're hitting, like you have to hit quota, obviously, but yeah. being a quota crusher doesn't earn you a spot on the AE team, being able to run a discovery call and have a well-built out 30, 60, 90 day plan for when you join the team, uh, is how you, you get promoted. So, Hitting quota is your ticket ticket to interview. Um, how you perform in that interview is your is your ticket to AE. And the first time I interviewed, I didn't have a good interview. I did a really bad job, so I didn't get the get the spot. I was I obsessed so much about hitting quota that I didn't spend enough time practicing the AE skills. 
and I fell on my face and it was embarrassing and sad. And it was like, dang it. Um, so then I thought, okay, well, I need to restructure. I need to spend a little less time focusing on exceeding quota by X amount. And I need to spend a little more time organizing my schedule so that I will without a doubt hit quota, but I also will have built in a ton of practice into my day so that I won't, I won't, you know, mess up this time. I won't miss my opportunity. So yeah, I think like the breakdown of my schedule, if someone is looking for a tactical, like tangible way to, way to organize their day is, um, I would get to the office or, you know, start my day at 8am. So the first 15 minutes of the day are writing out my goals, my personal goal of who I am, you know, how do I want to be? What's my intention? And then um, having a goal around what I wanted to accomplish in my role. So I would sequence X amount of prospects. I'd send X amount of personalized emails. I'd make X amount of cold calls. So it's usually like 40 cold calls a day, 40 uh, emails sent, 40 prospects sequenced, uh, two sequencing is built out on a researched account, uh, one LinkedIn post, and then some additional stuff. And then um, that's how I start my day. So I'd start with a cold calling blitz uh, for an hour and I go get a snack and a cup of coffee. And then I would work on building out one of those sequences. I'd add those people to the sequence, hit send at 1130. I'd write my LinkedIn post. I take a proper break for lunch because I know that if I don't eat food and if I don't give my brain a break, I'm not going to be successful for the rest of the day. When I get back to my desk, I go ahead and start prospecting a little bit on LinkedIn, trying to see who's responded to my emails, who's responded to my connection requests. From there, I do another hour call blitz. And then I, um, create one more sequence and add 20 more prospects to that sequence, hit send, and that's the day. I'm out of the office at five o'clock. Once a week, I would have an hour long session with one of the um, sales managers for the AE team where I would practice a really specific piece of the discovery call until we both felt like I had mastered that. So we just first practiced my upfront contract. From there, what are the innocuous questions that lead into um, our uh, value proposition. From the value proposition, how do I direct the rest of the conversation into the pain funnel? Once I get into the pain funnel, how do I make sure that I'm talking about the right things that we're digging into the right pain? After I've like discovered pain, how do I tell the prospect a story about um, someone who's bought Gong or used Gong in the past to solve the exact pain they're feeling? And then I go for the close and ask for the next meeting. So like that's sort of like how I structured my discovery calls and my practice. And we'd practice each chunk of those. And then we practice it all flow together. And that's how I structured my day. It's just like being really methodical and doing the same thing every day and constantly looking down. Hey, I said I was going to make 40 cold calls today and I've only made 12. I only have a tally of 12. I need to go back through it and, and make some more dials. And I would check every day, multiple times a day, where I was at in terms of my goals for how many dials I've made, how many emails I've sent, because the only person I'm going to dis disappoint the most is me. And if I want something, the only way I'm going to be able to get it is by being disciplined. So that's that's how I started my day. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and talk about the ability to be consistent, because there are at a point there are ebb and flows of every sales cycle obviously uh whether that's time of year and so forth especially with covid now uh you know i mean anybody in SaaS, uh when we transitioned to the working home environment there's definitely a shift and change 
uh, at first, but talk about being able to adjust and pivot and still, you know, hit your number. Because I think no matter what it is, what challenges uh, being, you know, what do you think are some key traits that top performers possess? And what are, what are some of those that you have personally? Yeah, I think um, top performers I see continue to iterate and refine the process that they already built out, like the one I just explained. Um, yeah. Top performers, you know, if something's not working anymore, you got to recognize it and pivot. So an example is when COVID first happened, I think everybody's inbox was inundated with way too many emails that were like, hope you're safe and healthy. COVID is happening and <laughs> you should buy my software. Um, it's just like, uh, no, I don't, what? <laughs> um, so I just realized like no one, everyone stopped responding to my emails. So I thought I'm not going to send emails then. I'm just going to make cool calls. <laughs> and so I changed the, I changed the process and then I stuck to the process I was able to make, actually made less cold calls, but had more pickups. I was able to book more meetings that way. Um, so wow. like, I, I think that like a top performers iterate on the process. They pivot if the process stops working um, and they constantly are trying to get better. They're analyzing what they're doing and they're going, why isn't this working or why did this work? And uh, if I tweak it a little bit, will that improve my results? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And for for individuals who like are the middle of the pack, and, and what do you have you seen, you know, from being an SDR and the ones that seem to struggle to get to the top or might not be there just yet? What do you see in those individuals and why they might not have the same type of traits or same type of process? I taught speech and debate for a long time, and I coached speech and debate, and I, there were kids who were really good, just naturally really good. And there were kids who uh, were not really good. And um, what I found is that the kids who were really good um, either were really good for two reasons. They were really good because they were naturally talented and it just came to them a lot more easily. Or they were really good because they practiced a lot and they mm -hmm. listened to their coach and they, and they made adjustments and adapted to what their coach said. And, um, I really liked working with those kids. I liked working with kids who maybe weren't the most talented in the bunch, but their work ethic was incredible. And those were the kids that I would see go on to maybe not year one, but year two, year three of speech and debate, they'd go on to be state finalists, state champions, national finalists, national champions. And I think like, that's the thing. Like if you're middle of the pack, you just have to say like, why am I middle of the pack? How much do I want it? Am I listening to my coaching? Am I asking for help? Um, what what part of the process am I not sticking to? Like, am I am I actually like writing good copy, or is this cop does, does this copy suck? Or like, you know, you can also be in the SDR role and not be good at it because you don't like it. That's a very strong possibility. In which case, like, maybe you need to find a different job. I don't know, but I know a ton of people who I think are just brilliant and smart and insanely talented and they sucked at being an SDR because they hated being an SDR. And a year into the job, they said, man, this sucks. I can't hit quota. I'm not liking it. I need to go do something else. And they did. And they took, they took a, like a really good stab at trying to take some coaching. They took a really good stab. And sometimes like, sometimes if you take a stab at 
at listening to good feed, like listening to feedback and getting there, you'll, you'll get there. Sometimes you won't, um, which case like maybe you need to pivot. Um, when I sucked as an SDR, it's cause I didn't have any coaching and I couldn't find the coaching and I wanted to be good, but I literally mm. could not get what I needed. So I, I moved companies. And when I, when I moved, I moved because the guy who was recruiting me, Tanner Robinson, he, he was legit. And I really felt like everybody I talked to who was on the, who was on his team talked about how helpful he was in setting them up for success. And so I just, I just ate up everything he told me and I iterated and practiced and iterated and had lots and lots of sessions with him to try to work through how I could um, make my process even better. So it's like, if you're middle of the pack is it's either, it could either be a you problem or it could be a um, access to good coaching and resources problem, or it could be that your territory sex, or it could be, it could be a bunch of things. <laughs> obviously, yeah, obviously, um, when you're a sales development, you would uh, try to get results no matter what. So talk about uh, the coaching piece. You are a founding coach for SDR Nation. Talk about that and uh, what you're doing. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, so SDR Nation is it's uh, it's all about getting getting those resources like I was talking about into the hands of, of SDRs who maybe are middle of the pack and they want to get good or SDRs who are already excellent. And they want to be surrounded by people who are, are just hardworking and love sales development. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a, a great group of people um, who are all really passionate about getting good and, and getting better. And uh, a great group of coaches who are really passionate about providing resources that allow SDRs to thrive um, and I, and I'm passionate about that because I felt like in my first job, I wasn't getting what I needed. And it was so frustrating. It's so frustrating to know you have something that could, that, to know you could be good and to still not be good. That, that's, oh, that hurts. That's frustrating. Yeah. I know because it's like, you know, the SGR job vote in itself, it, it, the job you're essentially at, at, a basic level, you're setting meetings for an account executive. So that's the, the basic part of it. Where the challenge comes in is making sure you're setting quality and making sure the other person on the other line finds you interesting enough and they like you enough to book that time with that AE so that they can essentially, you know, see the product more in depth. Yeah. And I think, you know, it doesn't like screw it. They don't have to like you. <laughs> they, yeah. just, they just have to have a pain and you have to have like you know if someone has a headache and you have aspirin they're 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 going to talk to you to see how they can get the aspirin and so that's how i like that's how i think about it like i don't need them to like me i, I just need them to listen to my yeah. pitch and and see if it could be a fit see if i can get them to think about something in a different way think about their process in a different way and uh see if they'll take 15 minutes with me to just have a conversation to see if there's something worth exploring. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for sure. You got to find that pain, need or challenge and, and talk about uh, Gong specifically. I mean, you guys are, are amazing. Um, you know, the capability of the software is phenomenal. If any SDRs aren't familiar with it, I mean, you guys are able to record calls and, and play them back. So talk about the software at Gong and, and why, you know, the, the culture there is so special. Yeah, I think it comes from 
literally our, our software allows you to have more visibility into what's happening in your sales conversations. And it's um, as a rep, it is my second brain. It is um, my mirror so I can coach myself. It is my professional development tool so I can listen to what top performers do on their calls and, and practice and, and, you know, without having to go say, Hey, can you show me? I can just listen and learn. It's, it's, <laughs> it's awesome. Um, and it's a way to, you know, iterate on your process. Um, and I think because, you know, because we have a culture of coaching, a culture of openness, transparency, and learning, uh, that allows for people to be, you know, great peer coaches, great, great team members. You know, someone will be like, hey, I saw you working this account. I actually talked to them six months ago. Here's here's a really good person for you to talk to that you might not have even thought about. Or someone will listen to one of your calls and will say, hey, man, that's that's really great. Or, hey, have you thought about doing this differently or whatever? You know, just like that, that constant feedback and and the willingness to give each other assists booking each other meetings sometimes because you just happen to be connected with someone in that other person's book of accounts. Um, that I think is like, that's what it makes going really special. It's just that willingness to help other people and, um, you know, reach, reach out to new people on the team and make sure they feel welcome, etc. cetera. Um, I, I, and it's, I think it's one of the reasons why I've been able to, to thrive there is just because I've had way smarter people come in and say, Hey, Sarah, here's some coaching. Hey, Sarah, here's a way to think about this. And going, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I can do that. I'll totally implement that. <laughs> yeah, and that's huge. Um, and how many SDRs, um, now that you've made the transition into AE, what's that structure like? How many SDRs do you guys have uh, currently? And then what's the AE team? Um, that's a good now? question. I mean, I think our SDR team is like, I don't know, there's like 70 people on the SDR team, including managers. I don't even know how many AEs we have. The company has grown so fast. <laughs> when I first joined, we were like 100 yeah. employees, and now I think we're at like 400. So I I literally can't even tell you how many people wow. are on the team. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And, and when you were booking meetings as an SDR, um, were you in – so were you in a certain territory, or was it by industry? How, how was that um, – how did that work when you were an SDR? What was the what was the process of booking a meeting and setting it for an AE? We had a book of accounts, and we worked one on one with an account executive, and we worked that account executive's book of accounts, and we strategized with them on who to reach out to. Okay, cool. And how many accounts um, were you like? How many accounts uh, would you be working? At? Would they get like recycled at any time, or like? Once you had that account, you were working that until like you were getting that meeting. Um, so I worked enterprise accounts and that meant that there was a lot of different decision makers that needed to be involved. Yep. So I would book multiple opportunities within an account. Um, I was probably reaching out to maximum 30 accounts in a quarter. Um, and I usually narrowed my focus. I know I'm probably like 10 or 12 in a month and that's where I spent my time. And like, what was your, um, could Gong was specifically outbound, uh, right? Or was it, was it a mixture of outbound? And it was outbound. Focus? Like I, everything was outbound. Okay. You know, if someone downloaded content, I would know that they downloaded content and I could use that, but I wasn't, I don't, I don't, didn't get any inbound leads. It was just all outbound. 
Um, so, so with that, what was um, b- being able to exceed quota? What was your uh, quota for like the month or essentially? So, I have to think about it. I think I was booking like eight or ten meetings in a month for an enterprise account, which was an enterprise account was anywhere between a thousand and seven thousand four hundred ninety nine yeah. employees. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's um, definitely like the inbound um, and outbound strategy is is very different. Um, so talk about the communication with your AE. Obviously, you're an AE now, um, but go back, you know, to your SDR days. Um, how much communication did you have with your AE? And, you know, how did you, you know, make sure you were their ally, essentially, to make sure, hey, you know, I want to make sure I'm helping you out, because obviously, you're, you're essentially helping them, you know, close more deals. So how was that communication uh, when you were? Yeah, I talked to her constantly. Um, we were very much in alignment on what accounts to go after. If she didn't, if she didn't, like, I'd be like, do you want me to go after this account? She'd be like, yes or no. She said, yeah. no, I wasn't going to touch it. <laughs> I would be like, Hey, I don't tell me which accounts you want me to go after. You know, I, I wanted, we, I wanted her to be very specific with me about what to go after. Cause I was not going to book her something that she wasn't going to flip. That's just not worth my time. So I was very strategic with her. We talked exactly about which titles I was going to book for her. Um, I sent her profiles of people that I was going after. Um, you know, we just were in constant communication and we are very much in alignment with what we thought was a qualified meeting and I would not pass her anything that wasn't. So, um, and then, you know, I was constantly, I was way up to date on all the accounts that I was researching for her. So sometimes she'd say, Hey, work this account. And I'd have, I'd have a couple cold calls and I read like a quarterly earnings call and I'd be like, man, this account, they're like, I don't know, man. Like they don't, I don't think they're doing well, I've done a bunch of research. And so she'd be like, oh, uh, yeah, now that I see the research that you've done, I think you're right. Let's let's move our focus off to something else. And sometimes she'd push back. She'd be like, mm, can you just try for a little bit longer? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Um, but the rule was basically like I wasn't going to book her something that wasn't going to get flipped. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and sure. um, you know, if if she said book this for me, then I would do it. You know, if she, if she point, if basically she needed to point, and I would just run. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and, and talk about that focus of understanding. Talk about the focus of as an SDR. More, more of them should be thinking like an AE because at times, you know, they might be thinking, okay, I'll I'll book this meeting to, to have my numbers go up, but if it doesn't close or if there's no opportunity there. No, well, that's not always a good a good strategy. So talk about the SDR mindset, thinking like an AE, and how how do the you know how can an SDR start doing that more instead of just you know trying to book meetings just for their individual numbers. If the point of being an SDR is to build pipeline for the business, if the pipeline doesn't have doesn't have the potential to convert, then you shouldn't book it. And if you if you want to make money as an AE, then you need to be able to identify 
who your accounts are, who your ICP is, who like what what constitutes a good opportunity. Because if you're booking crap, then you're going to book crap for yourself when you become an AE, and then you're just gonna be screwed. So like, I mean, I, I think that it's just you know, I just I don't know why you would book something that is isn't worth someone's time. It's just a waste of time. It's just a great way to piss somebody off, you know? Like, it's a great way to make your account executive mad at you and then they start complaining about you to their manager and their manager is is gonna complain to you about other managers and then suddenly you've got a bad name and no one wants to promote you. Even if you're booking tons and tons of meetings, none of them, all of them are bad. So who wants to have you on their team? Because it seems like, man, you don't have a good work ethic. You're not, you don't have the company's best interest in mind. You're just trying to book whatever, you know, if something looks like it could breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I mean, that goes into uh, a next uh, point. Talk about the balance of the quantity and quality and making sure like demos show up because obviously to an SDR, it's not just about, like the pipeline, the quality of the demo, but also making sure that demo uh, shows up as well and making sure, you know, they obviously all SDRs would love to have a hundred percent show rate, uh, but that's not always the key, but what did you do in SDR to make sure you were in the green for having a high show rate for the demos that you Sure. Bought? So when you reach out to someone and you know, about their business and that you know about their job, so you're personalized, they go, oh, you did your research. You actually might know something. You're not some rando who's just calling me out of the blue, spamming <laughs> me in my inbox. Sure, this seems like a legitimate meeting that I'm willing to take. They're much more likely to show up. If you send them a coffee card the day before saying, hey, really excited to start this conversation with you tomorrow. Um, so you're feeling caffeinated and ready to go, sending over this Starbucks coffee card. Hope you enjoy your morning with a new pep in your step. And then suddenly uh, they go, oh, that's right. I have that meeting. I'm not going to no show that. And I think if you are a make, driving, you know, driving people to the meeting, confirming that they're going to come, don't book anything more than two weeks out. If someone says, yeah, let's talk in a month. You can put it on the calendar, but you better make sure that you're following up with them in the meantime, because they're going to forget about you. Mm -hmm. um, like that's how, that's, that's how you get people to show up. It's just like, you need to be what's called professionally persistent and, um, you know, send, send them, send them a coffee card, send them a reminder. If they don't show up and the AE is sitting on, on zoom and they say, Hey man, I've been sitting here for five minutes. Like this person's not here. Then you cold call them and you say, Hey, we're on the zoom bridge. Do you have time? And then they, you know, sometimes that's how you get them back or you follow up with them when they do no show and you say, hey, is everything okay? I noticed that we had time scheduled for today, but you weren't able to make it. Or, is everything all right? And they go, oh man, this person actually cares about my well-being because they're checking in on me. And then they say, actually, you know, I had a bunch of fires that I had to put out. My kid got sick at preschool and I needed to go pick them up. And you say, oh man, I'm so sorry about that. Um, and then you send them another coffee card saying, I, I hope you have a better day. And you say, don't worry, I updated the, the invite for next week. Um, let me know if that time doesn't work. You know, you just, you just, you're just persistent and human and you care about people and they'll show up and you make sure that you're not trying to sell them something they don't need because you did your research and you know that they need what you have.
and you you have conviction about that. <laughs> if they don't like show up, um, besides like reaching out to them, what are some key things? Because I feel like sometimes if 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 they reschedule like more than um, twice, it's a challenge. So, what what do you think are some best practices for getting uh, the if they aren't able to make it uh, the best things to do when you're doing uh, trying to get a demo rescheduled? Yeah, I mean, I always try to book more meetings than uh, than you need yeah. than I need for quota. Um, knowing that you know if I have an eighty percent show rate, I've so I'm going to book 120% of my quota minimum uh, so that I can hit 100%, right? Um, if I did that math correctly. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think that I, overshoot is just, no, you're never going to get 100% show rate, so you should overshoot your quota. Yeah. <laughs> if you're still trying to book someone, I think it's exactly what I said. You want to follow up with them consistently. You want to ask them if this is still a priority. You want to remind them the reasons why they were taking the meeting in the first place. And you just keep resending the calendar invite, resending the calendar invite, resending the calendar invite. And you just don't sweat. If they don't show up, you've already, your, your, your butt's covered because you've already booked a ton of meetings. So if you, if you, if you're shooting for quota, then you're doing it wrong. You always overshoot quota so that you have your butt covered. And then if everybody shows up, if you have a hundred percent share rate that month, man, you just made it a little bit of extra cash. I love that overshooting your quota because you have to be right. It's not, if your goal is, you know, 15 demos in a month and that's what you're shooting for, you're always going to be under because you're not going to have, like you said, you're not going to have that hundred percent share rate. It's just, exactly. that's not realistic. Right. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and talk the importance of, like, I mean, obviously scheduling too far in advance. Um, obviously, <laughs> there's been a lot of studies shown that the faster, uh, the quicker you get to the demo date, um, you know, the more likelihood the person is going to show up and be interested. So why do you think it's important to have, you know, not scheduling too far in advance and having, you know, demos only scheduled, you know, maybe a weekend out of advance. Uh, talk about that strategy and making sure that SDRs, you know, follow that. Yeah, I think it's just exactly what you said. You should always be attempting to schedule meetings within a week, no less than two weeks um, out because it increases show rates. And if your objective is to, hit quota and you're paid out on meetings held qualified meetings held then you you got to book you got to book meetings later that week or two, you know two weeks out or whatever yeah definitely um so so talk about you know what you enjoy about sales development and um you know what do you find the most enjoyable part about you know your time as an SDR and now as you, you know, being an AE now, what are some things that you've learned while you were an SDR that you're now doing as an AE? Sure. Well, I think that I just really loved learning um, all about businesses and, and how, how sales teams work as an SDR. Um, and then uh, the thing that I, that I incorporate the most is just having a process, dedicating myself to that process. 
Yeah, definitely. And for those um, individuals coming out of school, uh, why would you suggest them starting out in sales development? Uh, you know, and if they're unsure where to go, obviously there's a lot of jobs open, whether it's, you know, in sales development, even SDRs have been laid off during this time. Uh, what advice would you give those individuals to, you know, continue the path within sales I mean, if, development? If you want to be an SDR, um, I mean, first of all, don't, don't just be an SDR just to be an SDR. You do, do it because you're interested in working in sales or marketing, uh, <laughs> getting your foot in the door at a startup or wherever, whatever kind of company. And I think like, for me, I think the more targeted I am when I prospect, the more likely I am to get that meeting and hit my quota. And I think it's, it's kind of the same when you're looking for a job. It's if you're, if you're targeted about the kind of company you want to work for, if um, you're, you're prospecting into it, you're reaching out to lots of different people that work there. You're asking questions, you're getting in front of the right people. You're not just relying on the recruiter to, you know, push you through. Um, and you're persistent. If, you know, if you get told, if you, if you submit, if you just submit a resume on the website, you're not going to get the job. Um, so I, th I think that I would say like 90% of the jobs I've had in my life has have come from a referral from knowing someone who works at the company. Um, and I, I think like that, that's like the move, you know, I, I, I just, you know, meeting people who work at different places, interviewing them, asking about their role, about their job, trying to get a feel for who the company is and, and asking them to introduce you to the hiring manager. I mean, that's the move. Yeah. I love that. Referrals are, are so huge. Um, and just talk about, you know, the, the transition into AE, because I think a lot of times you're hitting quota, you're crushing it, you're killing it as an SDR, but then there's that transition piece. And it's not just about running a demo. It's also knowing the product. So talk about that transition and how much did you have to practice to make sure you were able to run an effective demo uh, to make that transition? I think more important than a demo is running a good discovery call because you don't know what to show in the product if you, if you can't run a good discovery call. So I think knowing the company's value proposition, knowing how you've helped other businesses like the persons that you're talking to, those are all really important things. And the only way you learn that is by spending a lot of time at the company. You listen to other people's calls. You read case studies. You familiarize yourself with the company or with the with the customer base, et cetera. And you practice. And I don't know any SDR at Gong who's just been an SDR who hasn't practiced what it, what it takes to be an AE and had a successful transition. So um, for me, I just, you know, I, I prospected like crazy. When I got into the role, I tried to get as many at-bats as possible. And I just practiced and practiced and practiced. And I practiced on the job, you know, failing, falling on my face in front of prospects. Um, but knowing that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't need your business. I want your business. Keeping that Sandler mentality. And, you know, my product's not for everyone. I'm being okay with that. Um, but yeah, I think just like, do it. Just keep doing it and do it some more and then do it and then ask yourself what's working and ask yourself what's not and iterate and iterate and iterate. It's kind of the theme of today's today's talk. Pra have a process and practice it. <laughs> I mean, you able to utilize Gong is such a tremendous resource. Um, what do you what are you personally excited for, you know, the company itself uh, moving forward and 
you know, being at the company, especially now during COVID, things are sort of uh, different as we work from home. But what are you excited for in the near future? Uh, just at Gong. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm personally. excited to get dive into Q4 and and start working toward hitting my quota. That's my that's what I'm personally excited about. I think we've got a lot of cool stuff happening at the company. We've um, you know, we've just received uh, a 2.2 billion dollar valuation, and um, you know, the, the things look really promising for us. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just, I just feel like we're just getting started, and there's 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 so much left to do and so much left to experience. So I'm just excited to be here, and I'm enjoying the ride as our company uh, values say. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that, and. Uh, just to uh, close things out here, what for if you had to describe one word, uh, the culture at Gong, what would it be hmm. and why? I'd say I would say <laughs> rainbow. It could be two. I mean, it could be three. <laughs> there's it, we're we're a rainbow. <laughs> um, so many different kinds of people, different ways people think, different, um, you know different things, everybody's so different and unique, uh, but we're all kind of in lockstep. We're all following that arc where it's not a scribble, it's it's a true rainbow, you know, we're, 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 in the, we're working toward a common goal. It's that pot of gold at the IPO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love that. Um, I couldn't, I mean, it's always important to have, you know, a device group a diverse group of people, ideas, uh, especially, you know, in sales where, you know, uh, especially in a sales environment for sure. Uh, and if, if people want to get a hold of you, they can follow me uh, on LinkedIn. What's the best way to do that. Awesome. And, uh, and I, Sarah, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, any, any plans uh, for the weekend? No. <laughs> Take a nap. Drink a glass of wine. <laughs> you know, Walk the dog. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. I've never been to the West Coast. Yeah, you got to do it. I have it's to party. get out there sometime, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, it was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And, Thanks for having me on, yeah, Adam. I, I really I, appreciate I'm glad it. to be here and uh, have a fantastic weekend yourself. <laughs>